Cleveland Indians have a new team name. Surprisingly, it happened before the Washington football team got their team name. I think that's going to happen for next season. They'll have a new mascot. Um, obviously, that's going to go away. It's not going to be something like the Redskins, of course. That's a pretty obvious statement that the, the Washington football team made. But uh, I, I guess you just have to do it kind of protocol of being like, hey, what's not going to be a <laughs> a a name of, of of a group or whatever um so but anyway the cleveland indians are not going to be the indians anymore they're going to be the guardians and it's kind of funny because it's like um the team was was trying to hold on to their past a little bit like with the the dns at the end the d-i-a n-s um might as well just call them the guard how, how would I even pronounce that? The Gar Indians? The Gar Indians? Something like that. Because um, yeah, it's like, it's like, okay, how do we, how do we get away from the controversy of, of um, an indigenous people's group name, uh, an offensive name? How do we get away from that mascot? But yeah, try to keep it as close um, as possible. Oh, that's right. The Guardians. That sounds pretty similar. Let's, let's do that. And and uh, we'll we'll throw in the excuse of okay we're gonna name it after the the influential people in, around the city and all that. Um, but that, I'm 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 kind of just joking there. But um, but yeah, that's what it kind of seems like. <laughs> like they just wanted to try to keep it as as close or as similar sounding as possible. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think it's I think it's a good team name. I mean. Um, it's going to be kind of obviously weird to get used to. I feel like it's going to be with, I mean, yeah, Washington's probably a little bit different because it's just straight up just the Washington football team right now. Um, and people are going to probably make the mistakes like calling this the Chargers San Diego instead of Los Angeles or whatever. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think it's, it's probably for the best that they change the name and yeah, Cleveland guardians or Gar Indians, uh, probably, probably a pretty good pretty good switch so um i don't know when that's going to get changed it could change this season potentially i mean that's kind of like uh i I would think they would probably plan on just kind of doing cleveland on the jerseys and all that stuff um and then get ready to push that out next season but who knows but yeah here we go the cleveland guardians now in major league baseball So I'm going to um, talk about the Olympics here and kind of the stuff that's already happened, the stuff that's going to be happening. But first, uh, and I haven't seen the opening ceremony yet. It was live this morning. Um, Probably could have got up early to watch it, but I'm deciding to watch the primetime version of it at 7.30 tonight instead of 6.30 in the morning. Um, What was that? Probably like six, yeah, six hours ago. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna gonna check that out, but maybe switching over to watching the the men's cycling road race that's happening. And this is just um, it's not like a grand tour or whatever to where these guys are riding 21 stages. It's just a, it's just a single day race, and this course is is going to be very interesting. I, you know, I I wonder how things are gonna go if we're gonna see a breakaway. Uh, excuse me a breakaway and then the peloton is gonna try to come in and catch up or if it's gonna be just like constant neutralizing by the main group of the field uh this i would think this would probably suit the more of the 
um, general classification guys that you would see on on grand tours like Pogacar, Carapaz, uh, who who else is uh, competing? Oh, um, Primoz Roglic, of course. Uh, I mean, Wout Van Aert could be, especially on a one day stage, could be a threat. So uh, that's that's kind of how I'm thinking. Like, I think you're gonna really see the 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 big guns of the uh, uh, cycling um, of the cycling room uh, be, be at the top of this race. I think the, the course fits that. Um, I'm going to look up the course map here um, just to make sure, because I don't know, I don't think it finishes with a climb. So that could le- mean a breakaway stays away um, if they get over it. But um Let's I uh, here we go. There's the route, but uh, yeah, there there's still this is going to be very very competitive. Um, and you know, Pogacar is a fairly heavy favorite. I don't. I mean, who knows where the heck he's going to be at physically? Uh, and same with all the guys who r- were racing in the in the Tour de France. But um, yeah, who, I mean, who who knows really? Uh, so yeah, let me check the the route here there's a decent amount of climbs like over a thousand feet of elevation for for a bunch so okay descending finish and then a looks like a slight uphill at the finish line and this is at fuji international speedway is the finish line so um yeah two decent climbs towards the end there towards the last 30k uh yeah definitely gonna try to see a breakaway situation that's for sure uh, so who knows if you have a breakaway that makes it over the last climb, uh, those, those big typical general classification guys should have to be up there or else I think it's game over. Cause unless they're like super close, but, uh, because you got that massive downhill for about, I, I think it's almost about 10 kilometers and then you, you, you ascend back up, go back down again. And, uh, and then I think it's, uh, a slight incline to the finish line. So um, if I'm looking at the odds here, let's see. Okay, Pogacar is is, is the favorite. You have Rolich, Van Aert, of course. Um, Alejandro Valverde somehow <laughs> sneaking in there at number five. The, I think he's like the 40 or 42-year-old. Uh, Carapaz is a little ways down. Oh, man, if I had to make a prediction... I don't know. I, you know, I, I think I like Rolich and Vanar over Pogacar here a little bit more, honestly. Um, and who knows? That can completely blow up. We could have what we had in 2016, where the breakaway stays away, and you have Greg Vanavermont winning the the uh, gold medal there. But uh, I don't see Vanavermont defending his title, and have Tom Dumoulin a sneaky, sneaky upset there. Um, yeah. So I think. You know what? Because Rolich had crashed out of the Tour de France, you know, should I go with him again? Sure, why not? I'll give me, give me Rolich because I think um, that combo of the Slovenian riders with Pogacar and Rolich, I think those they're going to help each other out for most of that stage. And um, so, yeah, give me, give me Rolich, especially with the downhill finish there. Um, since it's not a mountaintop, I'll, I'll take Rolich um, in the in the men's cycling road race. If I'm looking at other sports that have happened, I think the biggest thing so far or the most 
the thing that's gotten the most storylines because um, before the Olympic ceremonies, you had softball and soccer going on and in soccer and women's soccer uh, team USA took a, a three nothing loss to Sweden, which is kind of surprising. I mean, Sweden's still a, a very good team, top five in the world, but uh, nothing that they shouldn't have been beating the United States three, nothing. And thankfully this is a group stage match. And out of the 12 teams compete of the 12 countries competing in this soccer tournament, eight advance to the quarterfinals. So it's your top two in each of the three groups, plus your two best third place finishers. So um, as long as USA doesn't get dead last in the group, they should pretty much be a sure thing for uh, a quarterfinal spot. And if we're looking at, you know, I'm kind of surprised they don't give me just like the group standings. But um, anyway, uh yeah i i think this was a, a fluky loss they they just uh this is definitely a wake-up call things are turn around real quick now what does it mean for the end of the road there they i think they should still be able to win the gold medal but uh yeah like i said it's just not a good sign that they're losing to sweden three to nothing um in in their first match but like hopefully it's a wake-up call and hopefully they just keep getting better um and that's kind of what i expect for the the men's and women's basketball teams too is just to keep improving because the women's uh basketball team they lost what for the first time since uh i don't know when like a, a ridiculous uh game span uh, since they suffered their first loss they lost to i think it was australia if i'm not mistaken and then obviously the, the men's basketball team has had their struggles too um but i i think things should turn around for all three of those teams women's soccer men's basketball women's basketball um to where things work out fine and and hopefully all of them get the the gold medal uh and then i think yeah women's softball's doing doing really good right now i think they've both of their wins have been shutouts both low scoring games so so still competitive games but um they're getting the job done right now and i think that format there's like six countries competing and they all play each other once and then the two best teams go and play for the gold medal and of course silver medal to the loser and then the the three and four teams play for the bronze medal um so that's i guess that's a pretty cool format especially since they had the time to do it and what else olympic tennis starts uh tonight i already went over that for the singles draw uh naomi osaka lit the olympic flame and there was a story there was a headline saying Osaka's match gets pushed back from Saturday to Sunday. And that was kind of the main speculation that Osaka was going to be lighting the torch. So that it just gives her a little bit extra, extra of time to um, do that and pre- be able to prepare, prepare for her match uh, coming up there. And Osaka is my, my favorite to win. Um, I think the, having the motivation of playing in Tokyo, she was anticipating this for many years now. Uh, so it's her time to shine. And I, and I think she, she gets the win. No doubt if she places Art Ash Barty in the finals, that will be super competitive. But um, yeah, edge to Osaka because she's playing on home turf um, or home court. And what was the last thing I wanted to mention? I feel like there was a point I wanted to make before I made a point. Ah, yes. So in regards to 
because there there was um something about athletic protest and all that on, on the Olympic podium, whether it's an athlete, say, raising a fist like we saw in Mexico City in 1968 or kneeling, whatever it may be during during the anthems. Um, the IOC vice president is not too um, fond of, of protests happening and Oh, let me get the. Uh, let me see if I can find a, a quote, an exact quote here. Um, he's cautioning athletes not to protest on the podium. He suggested that the IOC itself has no business in politics. Um, podiums belong to nobody. Okay, if you are fortunate enough to stand on one and you get to soak in that moment for the rest of your life that moment is yours but the podium is not yours so they're saying that's it's that's kind of interesting that the podium is not yours but the moment of being on the podium is yours so um for for that reason you can't you know lift your fist up or or whatever you you got to do so um i don't know i i to me personally like the impact of somebody doing that is not going to be as great because I think it is going to be real tough to surpass what happened in, in 1968. Um, like that was obviously with, with Tommy Smith and John Carlos, I think that is the, that is the pinnacle of, of demonstrate a political demonstration. So I, so I don't think, I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be, as like i'm not going to go out and say it's not going to be impactful but i don't think it was going to i don't think it's going to be a huge issue to where you need to have the ioc vice president saying this making this statement i mean just let the athletes do whatever you want and then people can form their own opinions um after that um so yeah so that's what i got with the olympics and that's the point before the point and so yeah, basically what I'm saying, the final point I had for the Olympics is that South Korean archery is surprisingly good. Um, I, I just noticed that going looking through the initial the initial scores uh, of the competition, and let me I gotta make sure what events had I was looking for here. So every single event: women's team, women's individual, mixed team, men's team, men's individual for archery is led by a south korean athlete or south korean team after the ranking round so apparently you go through and you compete to get seated into the the tournament pretty much and um so you had on the in the women's team event i'm pretty sure you had an olympic record yeah, an Olympic record down already in the ranking round, and we still have the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals to happen. Uh, the men's team event leading over the Netherlands, the mixed team event. Let me check the ranking round. Olympic record there uh, to where, yeah, in the ranking round. So South Korea in both the women's team and the mixed team Olympic record. So that's just insane. Uh, if we're looking for a hope for the American side, it may come 
into uh, play with the men's individual, and that is with Brady Ellison, who was only six points behind J.D. Kim of South Korea. So uh, Ellison, I think, has the best shot uh, to to be on the podium amongst individual or team, but uh, we'll, we'll have to see. And was there an Olympic of go go figure? Um, so there was a another Olympic record in the women's individual competition, and that looks to be completely dominated by South Korean athletes. The currently the top three are all from South Korea in the women's individual. So um, yeah, so hopefully there can be some upsets pulled, but it looks like South Korea is going to get a definitely get a high medal count um, in the sport of archery. Um, didn't think I was going to be talking about archery in this podcast, but that's that's what you get sometimes. You get a little bit of archery thrown in there, and hopefully I can also highlight some some other sports that that were to where this is the biggest stage for those sports and to where they get the most recognition. So uh, I'll try to do that as I, as I keep uh, putting out episodes during the Olympics. So this kind of came out of nowhere and this is, could be a drastic move for college football and, or just, I think college sports in general, I, I think at this point um, it's Texas and Oklahoma are, uh, or there's news out about these two schools that they could make a move to the SEC conference. Um, so that's the conference that has teams like Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, LSU, et cetera, et cetera. So they could move to the SEC in a matter of weeks. And that is going to be not necessarily a, a fine, but it's going to be a, a good check to be written um, to the Big 12 conference. I'm pretty sure the schools will have to pay $76 million a piece because of the current contracts, which it looks like it says it runs through 2025. Um, and that just completely changes the landscape. I mean, I guess I'm not complaining considering I'm a West Virginia football fan, having Texas and Oklahoma out of, of that conference would make things much easier and then give us better chances to to get into the college football playoff, especially if it exp- ends up expanding to 12 teams instead of four. Um, and it, it basically like this could mean an absolute super conference at a certain point. Um, I think uh, one ACCAD said yeah, it said could this could be a domino effect to where all these conferences recognize strength and how important strength of schedule is and push for a just a massive super conference. Um, and it looks like it could that could be the SEC. And SEC obviously has been a powerhouse for football with Alabama winning a ton of national championships the the, the past years. Um, LSU getting the one in 2019. Um, and then of course you still have Clemson in the ACC obviously another powerhouse. But yeah the SEC is would be I mean, that would be unreal football to watch if they made that move. I don't know when that would go into effect necessarily. Um, I'm pretty sure I heard that there's like an 18 month window of, of like that transferring um, from from conference to conference. But uh, yeah, I guess we'll have to see. But this is going to be 
probably one of the biggest conference moves in college football history, like bigger than the Big East when when the basketball teams went everywhere to where like Cuse and and um, why am I drawing a blank on another ACC team? Uh, Cuse and Notre Dame. There we go. So that's like like Syracuse and Notre Dame going to the ACC, uh, West Virginia going to uh, the Big 12. Like, I think if Oklahoma and Texas, the Red River rivalry, if that moves to the SEC, that's going to be crazy. Um, so we'll see what have to, we'll see what happens there. Like I said, not a bad thing for WVU if if if, if it goes down. But um, yeah, this could this could be. Um, uh, yeah, major domino effect uh, we could be seeing in the next couple of years if it goes down.